Welcome to the State of the Garden. This is the official podcast of the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. I'm your host, Tom Marshall. Hello and welcome to the State of the Garden podcast. I'm your host, Tom Marshall. And really quick before we start today, I just want to take care of a tiny bit of housekeeping, which is to let you know that State of the Garden is a proud member of the Osiris Podcast Network. If you go to osirispod.com, you can find other culture and music-related podcasts. And uh, that brings us to where we are today. We are doing a member spotlight for the New Jersey Cannabis Industry Association. Um, As you guys may be aware, there are many members who have joined the association. They all bring various strengths to our membership. And uh, today I'm here with Dr. David Nathan, who is the founder of Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. Hello, David. How are you? Doing well, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, right on your website, which I should say is dfcr.org, doctorsforcannabisregulation.org, the second highlight under the title says because you don't have to be pro-marijuana to oppose its prohibition. So it seems like your anti-prohibition comes across very clearly when you read your stuff. That's right. And you know, the, the direction that DFCR started with and now continues with is not necessarily even making the case for uh, medical marijuana. There are, first of all, other groups that do that. And second of all, among doctors, and that's our constituency that, that DFCR is ultimately speaking to is healthcare providers and doctors. It is much easier to explain to doctors why prohibition is so harmful rather than trying to convince them that uh, marijuana itself is a good idea. Uh, It certainly has its medical uses, but even if you don't believe that, we make the case that it still shouldn't be against the law. And that has another advantage, which is, you know, hearing doctors talk about uh, fighting the drug war and and locking up all the dealers is sort of the uh, dog bites person story. (laughs) But for doctors to say that it is an affirmative good to legalize an illegal drug, in this case, one that is less harmful for adults than alcohol and tobacco. That's a, that's a person bites dog story. <laughs> and that's why I think the DFCR got legs right from the beginning when we launched two years ago. Um, okay, so let's back up to that. Um, something motivated you. You're sort of a subset from another group, isn't that right? That's right. So... This started with me writing an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal in 2010. And I've written on a number of different subjects in science and history and policy. And I've been involved in things like uh, like social justice. Uh, but always it's been a one-off or two-off kind of participation. When I wrote this article for the Wall Street Journal, I assumed that I was just adding my name to the many physicians who have already spoken out in favor of legalization. And once it was published and I started getting the feedback, I realized 
surprisingly, I was very far out in front on an issue that, as far as I'm concerned, should have been resolved decades ago. And so fast forwarding, I was then asked to write other articles. Uh, for example, I did a bunch of uh, pieces for CNN, and I also have been speaking in public forums around New Jersey uh, up until 2014, when I was asked by the New Jersey United for Marijuana Reform uh, Coalition to join them. And that is a coalition of the ACLU, uh, the NAACP, the Latino Action Network, Law Enforcement Action Partnership. And I was asked to join as the pro-legalization physician, and I kind of made it my job to get other doctors in New Jersey on board. So forming from the NJUMR, you saw yourself as sort of a front runner because you were a doctor. Mm -hmm. Was your purpose to um, sort of unite doctors because you were thinking they all come sort of from the same place and you knew that this would be sort of a strong uh, group that might all be kind of rowing in the same direction? Or did you think that doctors specifically needed education in this regard? I, I, I think I understood that there are good doctors as well as good lay people on both sides of this issue. Uh, I knew that there were a lot of doctors opposed because some of them were my teachers uh, particularly when I studied uh, substance abuse. I'm a psychiatrist, and so while I'm not a substance abuse specialist, I trained in that as part of my residency. And I was surprised by the degree to which my teachers were supportive of the drug war when the drug war seemed to have such negative consequences for the very patients that they were trying to help. So I understood that that opposition was there, and that was part of what opened my eyes uh, as far back as medical school uh, in understanding the issues with the drug war. But I also knew that most of the doctors that I talked to in the Princeton area are at least quietly opposed to the notion of marijuana being against the law because they understand the medical side of it and they understand the health effects of marijuana compared to alcohol, tobacco, uh, both legal drugs by virtue of the difficulty of making them illegal. And so I figured I would just get those doctors to join me and did not appreciate the degree to which doctors were simply unwilling to put their names to this idea, lest they be considered as being soft on drug abuse. Ah, well, that sort of brings up a um, topic that's particular to New Jersey. And since we are specifically talking New Jersey, it's appropriate that um, the previous administration had made it a requirement that if you want to be a doctor, despite medical marijuana being legal, that prescribed marijuana for his or her patients you had to register as a, and I'm putting air quotes because I don't know exactly the term, you had to register online in a visible place as a marijuana doctor. That's right. And then your name was made public. Even if you said that you were not willing to take on new patients, your name was on a public list uh, that anybody who, law, who, who went on to the medical marijuana program website uh, would be able to see. Uh, and did, did you, you have know, a lot of uh, this is a personal question and you can choose not to a answer this. Did you find that you took advantage of that and became a marijuana prescribing doctor? Sure. I mean, I, 
it's funny that this comes up as something that might be considered sensitive because to me, it's simply a matter of pros and cons. And if for some treatment, the pros outweigh the cons, regardless of what the law says, not that we ignore the law, but we certainly don't simply rely on the law because it's made by lawmakers, not doctors. Regardless of what the law says, what's important is what's best for our patients. And so I actually did register uh, to be a medical marijuana recommender in New Jersey, even at a time when there were no psychiatric indications for the use of medical marijuana. First, they added uh, PTSD a couple of years ago, and just recently, uh, anxiety has been added as a valid indication for making a recommendation. But even before that, I had patients who I had been seeing for a while who had terminal cancer, and they had oncologists who I would speak with who would say, yeah, you know, the, the medication for their nausea or their lack of appetite that's related to the chemotherapy they're getting, yeah, you know, the medications aren't helping that much. And I know medical marijuana works because my patients tell me that it does. I'm just not comfortable being on the registry or I'm just not comfortable taking that step because of the lack of medical education around uh, marijuana, uh, medical marijuana use. And so I asked them, would it be okay if I did it? Because under the definition in New Jersey, if you have an established relationship and you are treating somebody for the condition for which they uh, are getting the medical marijuana, then you are qualified. So I was- Even I was if qualified. you weren't the, their doctor for that particular if ailment? I, even if I'm not the oncologist, I'm still treating their lack of appetite, for okay. example, because that's a psychiatric symptom that would go along with the anxiety or the depression that they came to me with. I see. Um, I also really felt that it was important for me to do the right thing, even though it was a bit outside my comfort zone when I started early on. Yet I understood that somebody who has weeks to months left in their life should not be deprived of medication that is, in a sense, uh, safer than many over-the-counter medications because there's really no overdose potential. There's no potential for a fatal overdose. And so I was willing to take that step with these terminal patients. What I found, unfortunately, is that for those early cases of individuals that I treated, and I've still only treated a handful of people for any reason uh, with medical marijuana. So I in my position at DFCR, I get a lot of calls from people who want to become my patient for medical cannabis. And I explain to them that I'm not taking new patients. Uh, and I really have very few cannabis patients at this point. But early on, I, I realized how flawed New Jersey's system was and that it was really designed to fail at the time that Governor Christie uh, finally rolled out the program that he was supposed to have rolled out much earlier on. He clearly didn't want it done. That was reflected in the regulations that came out that, as you say, required registration of physicians. Uh, it also required patients to only go to one dispensary. Uh, and there were only five dispensaries licensed for the entire state, Yes, which is, was a clearly inadequate number for a state with a population the size of New Jersey. There's 2,100 pharmacies in New Jersey. Right. <laughs> and there were five cannabis dispensaries. And, you know, as restrictive as the laws were, 
those five dispensaries were able to keep up with demand, which I think is an unfortunate thing. So I can give you a specific example of a, uh, of a problem faced by one of my patients. Uh, and, and his wife gave me permission to talk about this. Okay. So if it sounds like I'm giving a little more information than a doctor might you know, with fear of, of identifying somebody. I actually have permission to use the person's name if I want, but I won't. Uh, this was a case of somebody who had terminal cancer and it had spread to his lung. And so his respiration was impaired. And that posed a major obstacle because at the time, the only way that New Jersey That's residents were allowed to ingest it for medical purposes was, uh, was inhalation of the of the flower itself right and that meant that you couldn't buy any edibles or any kind of oral uh, uh, form that you could swallow he had to inhale it and of course smoking is more caustic than vaporization but this particular patient because of how uh, how impaired his lung functioning was simply could not inhale the vapor enough to get a reasonable dose with one exception there was one day he tried it and he really got it in didn't cough it out and he said his appetite returned hmm. he was less nauseated he was able to sleep that night wow. he hadn't been sleeping well because of the severe pain it helped him with his pain that's amazing and so though i'm frankly not sure of the legality of this i will say on you know public forum that i try to find ideas for his wife for how to convert the flower that they had gotten into an from edible the dispensary into some kind of edible right and she was too busy with his care and he died within a week or two of us trying to get that done for oh. him couldn't you have done the standard um, melt it into butter or whatever and make cookies or brownies? Well, that's essentially what I was unofficially recommending for them right. at that point. Now you can actually get edibles in New Jersey. It's, it's, it's now being opened up for Under that. Governor Murphy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so there's, as many of your listeners will know, a, a major expansion of the medical marijuana program, which has revealed the inadequacy of the old system. Very as, much so. I have a couple of patients who now qualify as having chronic pain, uh, one of whom is an individual for whom I've been making house calls for probably five to ten years, wow. can't, can't really come to my office uh, and, and refuse to even try marijuana until he could use it legally. And this gentleman, unfortunately, we registered him almost immediately after the new regulations took effect. And he still hasn't been able to get the, the uh, he, he's still waiting for his appointment at the dispensary to get his first, uh, his Dose, first dosage. With the expansion has come a, a, a sharp increase in the number of, of patients. patients in New Jersey who would like to get it. We, we got uh, that number uh, quantified last week um, as during Christie's um, administration roughly 15,000 and now we're in the neighborhood somewhere of 21 22,000 patients yeah I, I think I had even heard more stark numbers that it was around 12,000 I think uh, even a year ago uh, and now yes as you're saying it's well into the 20s uh, 20s 20,000 patients registered 
uh, and not all of them have been able to get the cr product because it's not a trivial thing to uh, to increase production. It actually requires a lot of preparation and months to do of it growing. Right. If Absolutely, you, yeah. So I know there's people working hard to make that become a reality right now, and the, the six now dispensaries have been authorized with additional permits to double their facilities, their growing facilities and all that stuff. So That's right. hopefully that will help. I don't exactly know how it's going to work with regard to that particular law changing where the patient, him or herself, has to still go to the dispensary anytime well, soon. Well, somebody has to go, obviously. Um, there, There's no delivery at this point. Uh, whether there should be is a point of contention. I, of course, as, as one of the few doctors in the world still making house calls, um, I, I certainly think it's reasonable to bring the treatment to the patient when yeah. the patient isn't able to get to the treatment. Uh, right now, either the patient has to go or they have to get a guardian to go, but the guardian has to go through the same level of uh, scrutiny the fact that the legal cannabis industry is so new and is so tightly regulated is mostly good, but it's not all good. Doctors for Cannabis Regulation has our platform of regulations that we support for the regulation of cannabis in any jurisdiction. When those regulations are put in place, it certainly creates overhead for the uh, cultivators and the dispensaries. It also uh, raises the cost of the product. What's important is that we make it so that the legal market is competitive with the illegal market uh. to help end the illegal market and bring people into uh, the legal market, both as, as buyers and sellers. Right. Um, so the tight regulation is a good thing. I think what's unfortunate is that our desire to take draconian measures for regulation compared to uh, the regulation of uh, other pharmaceutical drugs is really a product of a moralistic approach that society has taken to the use of cannabis. We all grew up as drug warriors understanding that drugs were bad and the people who were using them were bad and <laughs> the people who were selling them were unworthy of their freedom. Right. And it's hard to shake this notion of, of the whole cannabis industry being vaguely immoral when I think most Americans would view the alcohol industry as not inherently immoral. I, I think when they are acting against the interests of public health, certainly one could make that case. But, it, but we shouldn't regard any drug use as being a moral issue it's a health issue and the 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 more that our society understands and stops judging people for their drug use which can be for a whole variety of reasons the more that we're going to actually make policy that reflects public health and social justice rather than some arbitrary set of uh of beliefs that are advanced for the moral well-being of people because right. morality itself does not make for great policy. That's, that's well said. Do you Now, this is drawing such a broad generalization that you might just not want to adhere to it at all. But do you agree at some level that 
older generations have been so indoctrinated with what you're saying that you know they to some extent even still will say that they're against it no matter what there's a saying that intuition is everything you learn before the age of 18 ah. and growing up we certainly learned that marijuana might not be so harmful in itself but was but a stepping stone to the use of heroin and we now know that of course people do tend to use soft drugs before hard drugs so of course they use alcohol marijuana and tobacco before they would use heroin cocaine and methamphetamine but that's hardly surprising what we now know from a lot of studies is that there's no evidence of causality okay. that that marijuana is a gateway drug but it's very hard to convince average people that what they were told repeatedly and consistently years ago is actually it's completely simply wrong. untrue. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. And you know what? To understand the circular logic of people who want to maintain the illegality of marijuana, it often comes down to this idea that marijuana is against the law because it's harmful. And the harm that they cite is uh, violence in the drug trade and uh, the increased use of more potent marijuana what people don't necessarily understand until they really read the evidence is that most of the harm of marijuana is a result of its prohibition. It's not a result of the drug itself. So during alcohol prohibition, we went from a society that was generally uh, more interested in drinking wine and beer to a society that drank very hard alcohol because the effect of prohibition was to get people to drink more concentrated alcohol, which was easier to Obtain. lug around. And if right. you were going to break the law, you might as well get a lot of bang for your buck. <laughs> Same thing has happened with marijuana, where we find that where we have cracked down on marijuana, we have gotten an increase in the potency, which isn't necessarily a problem in itself. People can adjust their doses. But where it becomes a problem is where there's no regulation because it's against the law and people don't know what the potency is because there's no testing, there's no labeling, uh, and there's no control. Well, so that's regulation. That's what you're talking about. So I, I found it strange that you weren't doctors for cannabis reform and you were doctors for cannabis regulation. Because I kept thinking in my head, he must, it must be reform. Until today, I went to study uh, your website, and I thought, when you think about it, the extreme form of regulation is prohibition. So, and yet you're for regulation, and now I get it, right? So legalization plus the correct amount of regulation is the best scenario all around. I actually believe that the extreme version of regulation, it's not prohibition, it's just uh, very draconian regulation. Prohibition is the absence of regulation. It's simply the, uh, the principle that we are going to either completely eliminate this drug or at least take action as if we thought we could which is of course impossible, and that's reflected in the fact that 22 million Americans were uh, current users of marijuana before any state had actually fully legalized the drug. Wow. So that's a significant portion of the American public uh, were already using it. 
Um, just like during alcohol prohibition when many Americans were drinking even though uh, it was nominally illegal to purchase the stuff. Doctors for Cannabis regulation is founded on the principle that you can't have regulation without legalization mm. because otherwise what you're doing is trying to pretend like it's somehow not there and doesn't need to be managed in some way, right. uh, which is, as we've learned from the failure of the drug war, simply untrue. You need legalization for regulation. If you're going to legalize it, you better regulate it properly. Right. You need to, uh, you still need to keep it out of the hands of minors. I'm of the belief that drug use should, in all cases, be handled as a health issue, not a criminal one. And here, here comes the fine point why you created this doctor's organization. Right. Okay. Well, think about how the focus of Doctors for Cannabis regulation, or how focused we are on one drug and one approach, which is regulation. And there's a very good reason for that. What is the best policy for handling heroin addiction? Very complicated. And it's something that I, as a concerned physician, don't feel like I have all the answers to. But when it comes to a drug like cannabis, uh, which is non-lethal in overdose, which is used by tens of millions of Americans regardless of its legal status, has a lower addiction potential than legal drugs. And, by the way, may also have good medical applications. Right. This is the wrong drug. So when I've testified at state legislatures, which I've done a number of times, and I'm getting these minute questions about, well, what about the harm to the lungs of smoking? I talk about vaporizing. But we get into such detail and they're missing the bigger picture, which is when you talk about a drug to make against the law, this is not the right one. This is the wrong drug to make against the law, right. regardless of what we've been taught, because it is uh, relatively benign. People should not be going to prison no. because of the potential harm of this drug, just as people shouldn't be going to prison for riding motorcycles, which is not completely safe, for skydiving, for drinking alcohol. Right. And people see alcohol prohibition as having been a failure. Well, you know what? In certain re respects, it actually was a success. Alcohol use in this country overall seems to have decreased. It's hard to know because it was against the law, but alcohol consumption seems to have gone down. Alcoholism seemed to have gone down during prohibition and alcohol related illnesses may have also decreased. But consider the cost to society of making those modest gains in public health. We still had alcoholism. We still had the domestic violence associated with alcoholism. And now we also had ordinary Americans who had been turned from law-abiding citizens into outlaws. Hmm. And, it, and the, uh, the children of America at that time looked at their parents who were basically saying, you know what, we don't agree with the law and therefore we won't observe it. If we want our kids to believe us, would we tell them that marijuana is bad for them? We need laws that reflect the science. And what the science tells us is that what is a generally safe activity for adults is neither safe uh, nor recommendable for minors. 
And if we create a legal distinction between adult use and underage use, we show a respect for the science that we can encourage our kids to emulate. Because under alcohol prohibition and under marijuana prohibition, we make ourselves a nation of hypocrites. <laughs> I, I like it. And it seems like uh, the case for ending marijuana prohibition, and, and thankfully, it seems like the nation agrees and it's finally happening. But I mean, of course, the prohibition went on much longer than the alcohol prohibition did. It should be easier to make the case simply if you just say, it's also an incredible medicine. You know, alcohol doesn't really have that apart from starting fires and sterilizing surgical instruments here and there. It doesn't have much of a medical use. And marijuana, unfortunately, uh, because of the Schedule 1 aspect, it's been very hard to test all these incredible That's uh, right. uses for it. That's right. But now, to me, it seems like the floodgates are going to open and all of a sudden there's going to be tremendous new discoveries. We still need policy change at the federal level, of course, uh, not just because federal law is in conflict uh, with state law in many states, including New Jersey, where we have medical marijuana that remains illegal at the federal level, uh, but also because it's the federal government that can ultimately make it possible for researchers uh, to study this drug more properly. When you can't conduct a study of a drug because it is a Schedule I substance, that prevents us from really understanding that drug's potential, and it really slows down the process of uh, the advancement of medical science around that. Amazing. Well, I think we need to address, before I let you go, because I've kept you for a long time, David, and thank you very much, the social justice aspect to your forming, uh, because uh, on your website, there's a large portion devoted to it. Do you want to talk a moment about it? Absolutely, because that's the other half of all of this. You know, if if marijuana were improperly categorized as a Schedule One substance and we had some misconceptions about it, that would not have me spending the thousands of hours that I have spent uh, trying to educate doctors and the public and advocate changes in our laws. What brings me here is because of a few numbers. One of the numbers is 570,000. That's the number of arrests made every year in the United States for marijuana possession, not for sales, simply for possession. That number is greater than the number of all violent crimes in the United States combined. Wow, because it's so easy when you get pulled over for speeding, uh, to, for, for someone to recognize, oh, there's marijuana in the car, boom, you're arrested. That's right, and that, and, and that particular scenario brings us to uh, the second point of what brings me here, and that is that police have discretion about what they're going to uh, arrest somebody for or choose not to arrest somebody for. And that discretion is generally exercised based on whether that person seems like they're otherwise either a troublemaker or in some way, how does that person look? Yes. And as soon as you get into how somebody looks, 
you have the situation which we have in America, which is racial disparities in arrests that are horrifying, frankly. By looking at arrest records from police departments, the ACLU has determined that the ratio of African Americans to white Americans in their likelihood of being arrested is three to one. What matters most about how that arrest is handled is their economic uh, status. So if they have the money to do so, they can have the charges reduced or they can have their record expunged. They can have a lawyer who can do a really good job advocating for them. They also can probably handle whatever probationary requirements are made of them. This sounds like a justice system problem, not necessarily a marijuana problem. That's right. However, any anything that gets you into the justice system right. obviously affects those yeah. numbers. So, so in, in one scenario, if you have the economic resources, if you have the financial resources, you can take care of a marijuana conviction and have it off your record and go on and live the rest of your life. And if you are somebody coming from modest means, you may not be able to afford your own attorney. And the public defender who's assigned to you probably has 20 cases to take care of in just a few hours. You may not be able to afford the fines that the court imposes on you. You may not have the time to go to your probation officer if you're working two different jobs. And so ultimately what happens is People don't necessarily go to prison for marijuana possession. What they go to prison for is the probation violation because they couldn't pay the fine or something like that. And what happens when somebody has a criminal record, even if they're not in prison, they can't, they certainly can't find work. They may not qualify for public housing, food stamps. And in that way, marijuana prohibition has contributed to the poverty of the impoverished. Wow. We in the United States now have 2 million Americans in the prison system. A disproportionate number of them are people of color. That number in both absolute terms and as a percentage of our population is higher than virtually any other country in the world. I'd like to know, though, how many of those were put into the system because of marijuana. Yeah, that I mean, that's hard to calculate because, as you said, the, the crime that they ultimately go in for isn't exactly necessarily marijuana. Right. Either. And so, OK, mm -hmm. here's another sort of thing that's going to happen when prohibition is lifted is that generally you can say that there's a lot of people that are now put into the system that won't be put into the system. That's right. And That's whether right. you can quantify it or not, it's certainly going to be another one of the great goods that comes of it. Absolutely. And among the policies that Doctors for Cannabis Regulation and New Jersey United for Marijuana Reform advocate are expungement of records for low-level cannabis offenses. Perfect. We also want to see diversity in the cannabis industry that directly and indirectly leads to the rebuilding of communities that have been disproportionately harmed by our war on drugs. The communities of color where the color of your skin determined 
whether you or a family member would have a criminal record that would bring down the entire family. Yeah. Those neighborhoods need to be rebuilt. That's something that we have to think about as a, as a state um, very carefully as we legalize because we have this chance early on to do so. That's right. Some states have done better than others in their legalization process in affecting real social justice uh, equity. So, for example, California uh, and Massachusetts both have provisions for the allocation of licenses to people coming from disproportionately harmed communities. Uh, That's a great way to do it. We can certainly manage in some way to find a way to help rebuild those communities that have been under the thumb of the drug war for over a hundred years. Wow, that's eloquent. And maybe that's a good place to stop because it seems like we've covered pretty much your entire charter of Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. And I thank you very much. You're the founder, right? That's right. I'm the, I'm the founder and board president of Doctors for Cannabis Regulation. It's been an incredible ride. And I have to tell you, I'm wonderfully encouraged by the people that I meet who really understand at this point that our war on cannabis has created more problems than it solves. And people have had an open mind to listen and understand it is by regulating cannabis, not by prohibiting it, that we're going to see positive changes in relation to that drug. Perfect. I love it. We'll end on that note. And thank you very much, Dr. David Nathan, for uh, coming here and telling us all about Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, dfcr.org. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Tom. This podcast is in the loop. The Legion of Osiris Podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.